was the holiday for the heart. Can you say more about this? <laughs> I think that that's a um, that struck me when I when he said that because I looked at meditation as the hard work. Uh, you know, where you are very, you know, into a lot of effort and control, trying to force my mind, trying to make it quiet, trying to get rid of uh, negative thoughts. And so I could hardly, the way I was doing it, I would hardly consider it a holiday. <laughs> so uh, then... Um, but it did get me to thinking, you know, that this, this letting go, this sense of liberation, of freedom, of relaxing. You know, and you really appreciate what meditation does. It's, <coughs> it's freeing the heart from all its uh, <coughs> cares and worries and attachments. So that's a holiday in the sense of a relaxed uh, time, where, you know, you go on a holiday to usually get away from all the worldly cares, responsibilities, and duties. So that's what I do, holiday. I'm on holiday all the time. <laughs> or it's a rest, a resting of the heart, or uh, relaxing. This, I think, this is this is uh, this attitude that I'm emphasizing is to see, you know, that just to you know, to one thing to to put into context the way we oftentimes approach meditation, because the. Uh, a lot of teachers and methods, you know, they, they say work hard, don't waste any time and that kind of thing. So you, you know, I've, been, I've been on retreats where the teacher says, you know, this is, you're really going to work yourself on this retreat. No, no holiday of the heart here. <laughs> yeah. And um, so this, uh, this kind of language I fully understand because uh, that's how my mind is conditioned to to uh, think, you know, make make uh, make something difficult if you can, and um, hard work pays off, and 
and don't waste any time. So, you know, but this this sense of letting go, of relaxing, of opening, was something that had never been uh, encouraged in any in any situation I'd ever experienced till I met Ajahn Chah. Like a retreat like this, one can look at it as hard work where you've got to really, you know, make yourself uh, concentrate and 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 e- even interpreting in my the way I'm talking is kind of a an imperative uh, demand that you should be doing. But but all I'm really suggesting you do is observing. You know, and, and you know whether you agree with me or don't, or uh, whether you think I'm off the track or on, or you don't understand what I'm talking about, or you like, or whatever. I'm not asking you to to approve, like, or agree, but to observe what happens. You know, not to to make it into a cause celeb where you're, I mean, what am I really, you know, but just to be, have the confidence to just uh, observe the, what this kind of situation, the, this kind of being in a group of people in, uh, in this room with the weather like this, with the way you are at this time, it's like just observing, it's like this. It's not a judgment or you know, trying to—I'm g- not encouraging you to criticize yourself, but to observe. So, if you think I'm—I'm I'm crazy, then you know, observe that. <laughs> this feeling of, of, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever reactions you're having to to me or the retreat or the people on the retreat or the weather, it's like this. So it's learning to to open yourself to the way it is, witnessing. In other words, like you're watching a movie, but you're watching the movie in your in your jitta. So then you're you know, you're observing it. But you're you're not I'm not trying to to say you should identify with the with the movie, but observe it. It is what it is. Sometimes what's on on the on the screen is good and interesting. Sometimes it's boring and ridiculous, but that doesn't make any difference. You're we're just just uh, you know, our encourage the encouragement is to observe, be the knower, the watcher, not the critic. So then the next question is can liberation be attained without meditation? And then in presence only with Donna Sila. And so uh, <coughs> you can test this out yourself. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> so, uh, I mean, it depends on what you mean by meditation. Now, what I'm saying is mindfulness, but that didn't need, needn't even be called meditation. It's you know, the word English word meditation is a kind of catch-all word, isn't it? It's a generic term for any kind of mental activity or mental exercise or whatever. So, so, uh, and then then the meditation can sound like something you have to do. And uh, and this is, these are the things you need to see, you know, encouraging you to see, observe how even the terminologies, the reactions to the terminologies are like this. So it's not a matter of believing or thinking that you know, or holding uh, the opinion that you have to meditate to become liberated. But, uh, you know, because that's another opinion. If I said, you have to practice meditation at least 10 years before you'll be liberated. (laughs) 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 What, what, when I say something like that, what does that do to you, you know? Or you have to become a, a monk or a nun to really be liberated. <laughs> so these are opinions, aren't they? they? You know, these are opinions. You know, they might be true or not true, right or wrong, true but not right, right but not true. But the point is to be aware of, you know, opinions are like this. You know, you come, you know, you meet in the Buddhist world really strong opinions. At least I do. And, uh, you know, people have, you know, definite, you know, like this kind of thing. You got to keep the sea line, do this, and then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, so that, you know, that's a person with a strong opinion. <laughs> and then that, <laughs> and that doesn't inspire me when people do that to me. I don't, that doesn't, you know, I feel, you know, I don't, I don't find that very inspiring or someone <laughs> that, that I would want to follow. That's how it affects me. But then if I said, you just, you don't have to, you know, the more like the, um, just open your heart to the universe and drink in the nectar of liberation. (laughs) 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 So see, see this retreat is, uh, is, uh, you know, it's not, not something to, to attach to, but it's a an expedient means. It's an occasion given, and the point of it is awakened attention, not to convert you or to convince you. You know what I'm hoping to do in this retreat is encourage you and 
and give you more confidence, help to empower you, or more confidence in in uh, in in the spiritual life, in the in awareness, in in the in in and and also uh, suggesting ways of using Buddhism to help in that endeavor. Because uh, that's what I've used. I've used the Buddhist uh, convention, so that's what I know. You know, so I don't uh, not used any other <coughs> conventions, so I can't. You know, I can't speak from uh, experience from other religious conventions. Then. <coughs> Would you speak about anatta? And and that is is uh, yeah, that is uh, no self, non-self, and that's that's another terminology that's helpful because uh, you know we talk about the ego, use the the word ego uh, in uh, and that usually re- refers to the sense of myself. In the limited forms of my body and <coughs> thinking, opinions, views, memories, emotions. So, so this anatta is is um, is is a is a word. It's not a concept, but it's it's a non. There's non-self. Now you can't imagine non-self. When you try to think about anatta, then you you think you you'll end up if you just think about it, then you end up with a view that you've got to destroy the self, get rid of yourself. So it's it's kind of a it sounds like annihilationism on a on a, you know a, a logical way, but it is a a term that points to uh, that that. That you begin to understand or recognize as reality, as you understand how you create yourself out of illusions, out of ignorance. So, so what I regard as my ego, myself, sense of myself, my attachment to the body, emotions, memories, opinions, views, uh, out of the habit, out of the conditioning process. You know, there's awareness of that, 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 that this is, the, the how, you know, how I see the world from my cultural uh, conditioning or my generation. You know, sometimes it's difficult for me to understand the younger generation because it's called the generation gap. And since I'm so old now, the gap is immense. <laughs> And so, uh, but the um, the self is whatever you identify and attach to out of ignorance. So then, then anatta is really just uh, an expedient means for recognizing emptiness or pure awareness, pure consciousness, like this awareness. You know, like sound of silence as you recognize that, and 
and develop, then the thinking process ceases. You know, it stops the thinking process. But you're still conscious. There's still consciousness and very attentive because it puts you in a state of alertness and attentiveness. But I can't, if I say I am, you know, this is me or mine, I'm claiming it, then I'm back into thinking again. If I say, I am anatta, or <laughs> I, you know, if I, think I am the ultimate reality, or I am the Buddha, or that, that, then I'm back into thinking again. Because those are thoughts, aren't they? But if I'm, if there's pure awareness, then th there's no attachment. I don't need. I I don't have to think about. It. There's a knowing. And it, but it's non-personal. It's not. It's not American. It's not British. Not Thai. It, it's not uh, European. It's not Asian. It's pure consciousness. It's not nothing. Nothing that you can claim is cultural, <coughs> belonging to some particular culture or civilization or anything of that order. So what is it? It's, it's, it's an atta. But then you, that's another word, so you can even let go of that word. The word it's totally unimportant when you re recognize this. That's just uh, using a word like nibbana, anatta, shunyata, emptiness, or these words are, are merely uh, pointing at this, but they're not defining it. So when people want to say, is there, there's really no self or no soul on a, as a form of opinion, you know, do you have an opinion in Buddhism? We don't, we don't have souls. Now that sounds like an opinion, doesn't it? <laughs> but if if there is awareness and you and you recognize it real and develop this awareness, you know, if if there's consciousness, there's there's wisdom, but it's not mine. And the problem of a, of a soul or no soul disappears. <laughs> and I don't have to prove that there is or is not, because it's just a non-problem, really. <coughs> so, I mean, this is this is the Buddha's way of, of you know, of, of it's like pointing at you know the finger pointing at the moon. Uh, you you look to where the finger points, and you see the moon you look at the finger you don't see the moon so even if it's a Buddhist finger <laughs> <laughs> that's still you know convention isn't it it's still it's not it's not meant to to say I'm not saying look at my finger <laughs> pointing at something so I hope that Answers the question. 
During this retreat, I hope to investigate my addiction to food. Is it possible or advisable to To develop one's vipassana, I think. Possible, or to develop one's vipassana meditation at a specific feeling and if so, how? Hmm. Well, I mean, like, like food is. Um, Food is a necessity. Even we're allowed to eat. (laughs) 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 So, so you know, it's a, it is uh, necessary for survival, and and then, but then. you know, to contemplate food and need. What what do you need? And what is just, when you say greed or habit? Because food is is also a way people use to uh, get away from anxiety or or you know if you feel restless or not knowing what to do or or worried or anxious, uh, one way of kind of relieving the tension is eating or drinking, you know, uh, or or um, d- like liquors another way or, or smoking or taking drugs or reading or turning on the television or, you know, the, the internet and the, well, there's so many possible ways of uh, you know, of uh, an, an addictions, and we we use these always just to. We, this is our way of dealing with with feelings of suffering and and uh, doubt and worry and anxiety. So that's why the first noble truth is there is this dukkha, and and that's where you know the point of this first noble truth is understand dukkha. To to say you know when we see ourselves you know when we have these urges or these compulsions we you know you can uh, use those compulsions <coughs> just to observe them this this kind of sense of having to you know get something or eat something or do something drink something uh, distract yourself. Uh, you know, so if you can really begin to notice this uh, on a retreat, it would be quite a good thing to do it, to observe how we, you know, this uh, this compulsive sense, a kind of drivenness of of just restless anxiety, worry that hangs around uh, the the our minds. So you can, you know, observe just that, you know, sort of that feeling of 
wanting something, wanting to do something, uh, and then then we can get into, you know, I shouldn't be addicted to food. I sh- I shouldn't, you know, they're trying to to suppress this addiction, get rid of it is another, you know, kind of wipawadanha where we we're just trying to annihilate it. But we haven't really come to the source, you know, to the to where it arises and ceases, where this is kind of this urge, this desire arises. So like this is creating this holiday for the heart or this anatta or this this sense of relaxed attention more and more as you, you get a feeling for it, you know, where you, you you're beginning to you know, if I put you into People can become retreat addicts. I know people that are retreat addicts. <laughs> that they're always having to go on meditation retreats. <laughs> the one can indi- get addicted to to or to tranquility. You know, we we want tranquil states. We we you know become addicted to to tranquility. But in vipassana, it's uh, investigating, looking into the causes and what how it arises, how these how desire arises and ceases. So, like in in terms of action and speech, you know, like the. Monastics have this uh, vinaya, so it, you know, it uh, it does help because it limits us, you know, in terms of like if we're food addicts, we're allowed to eat, but in the afternoon we're not. But we're allowed certain strange things. The Buddha said you can eat cheese <laughs> and chocolate. <laughs> it's strange. <laughs> <laughs> so we become addicted to cheese and chocolate. <laughs> but anyway, in this, you know, this, uh, this like munching on biscuits and snacks and sweets and all that. This is this is you know you're observing this. This wanting something to to do is like orally, isn't it? The mouth is very sensitive part of the body. So and then is where we speak, where we eat, and and then we uh, you know this is just to keep put something into it like. Smoking or or uh, munching on things or chatting or whatever the the uh, just recognizing that observing this not to not to uh, you know condemn you for being a food addict because that is that's another opinion one should not be addicted to anything food included. And so that's a you know that's a heavy uh, demand, isn't it? You should 
You should be ashamed of yourself. Disgraceful. They'll they'll shame you into going on a diet or something. (laughs) 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 But then uh, that doesn't get to the pro get to the cause, does it? We might, you know, we might be able to will ourselves to to control our habits and that, (coughs) but we're not really learning from them or getting to the cause. So this is like a an invitation to get to the source, you know, when this impulse arises, as you as you have relax more and open more, then you begin to notice this suddenly this feeling of wanting to eat something or smoke a cigarette or or you know switch on the telly or whatever. You can. You can begin to catch these impulses of just this restless energy, wanting something to do. And as you as you as you're more aware of that point where you suddenly feel this this uh, kind of compulsive sense of compulsion, you begin to notice it. So, it, and as you under see it and notice it more, then it, it, you are you aren't so likely to get lost in it. And and just be carried along with it until we notice it. Then we're, you know, we're doing all these things before we even realize it. This uh, habit patterns that we've developed. That's the end of the questions. And do these, do my reflections help in any way? I thought Rosie was raising her hand to. (laughs) 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 Like like desire in, in the. Four Noble Truths, it's dukkha, uh, uh, two words, dukkha and dhanha. Dukkha is uh, translated usually as suffering, and then dhanha is desire. So, and then there's ignorance, or avicca, which is ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. It doesn't mean being illiterate or anything like that, or ignorant in the in the terms of not of not knowing about, you know, things in general or that, but it's in this term of avicca, not, not having, uh, and these are, this is Buddhist terminology, not having um, penetrated the Four Noble Truths, there are three aspects and twelve insights, then you are ignorant, there's avicca. And so, <laughs> Now that sounds complicated, but I mean these 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 kind of formulas, I found very helpful actually in the Theravada style of Pali Buddhism. You know, you have four noble truths, three aspects to each truth, twelve insights. You know, so then uh, then you've got the first noble truth is there is this suffering or this dukkha or this unsatisfaction or a sense of lack or something inc- incomplete. 
And this, you know, this, uh, this is m- so much of why we're here in a place like this. There's something missing or something we don't quite understand yet or some la- It may not be even a, a, you know, a, you know, a terrible trauma or something really horrible done to us, but even in, in the best of people, there's still sen- a sense of, of a lack of something wanting something, needing something. So taking this as the first noble truth, you, you know, you have to like admit it, you know, recognize it. It's like this, this feeling of dis-ease or lack is like this. This kind of lonely feeling, sense of loneliness or whatever is, is like this. So this is the the statement, notice the statement is there is dukkha then the second aspect is is the prescription, what to do about it. It should be understood and then the third is the insight it has been understood. So now this is a notice this, is, it, it states the problem or the it gives you the, the intellectual teaching the, and, and then it tells you what to do, the practice, and then when you practice, then you get the result, which is the third aspect. So you know suffering has been understood. Now this you apply inwardly. So you, I mean, you can learn this verbatim, memorize it, but until you apply it, you know, this this is very important because we, we get the intellectual part because we're educated, that's no problem. And then we, we, we can understand, the, you know, the prescription, practice, understand dukkha. And then what do I do? If I and it says understand. Well, this is an English word, and, and, and this means to, um, you know, really, you know, there, you, you, there is this dukkha, and to understand it, you have to open to it, receive it, look at it. If you want to understand something, you've got to look at it and examine it. You know, you've got to look at it from this side, this angle. And and then you, you, if I just say, uh, you know, I should, um, I should, uh, there is, Dukkha, and then uh, that's all, and you know, I don't. I've got some, some, the intellectual side, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't liberating just to know that. And it's a, it's in the bati bata, the practice, examining, investigating, and then, then you, then you have the insight. Dukkha has been understood. So this is this is a re- this is what I call is a paradigm of reflection. It's stating gives you the intellectual bit, what to do about it, and then the result of having practice. So there's always this this the result of looking at the result of 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 uh, what we're doing to notice. Uh, you know, it's like this. Then the second noble truth is there there is an origin, the origin of, of dukkha or suffering. It has causes, which is attachment, 
to desire. The three kinds of desire, gama dana, bhava dana, dana. This is where dana comes in, the desire, sensual desire, uh, desire to become, desire to get rid of. And and it's not even saying desire is the cause, it's attachment to desire out of ignorance. So this is very accurate in, in Buddha's teaching. It's it's not we're not trying to get rid of desire. We're not against desire. You know, so sometimes we we get the impression we've got to get rid of our desires, and um, that's a hopeless task to get rid of desire. So it's it's to uh, you know, and then so there are, are these causes, these, and so to to be able, and the, then the 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 practice the prescription for dealing with this is to let go of the causes and letting go is not annihilating so we're not suppress if i say annihilate desire then we would suppress it you know we just push it away and resist don't want any desire try to resist it but to let go of something, you've got to know know that you're attached to something to be able to let it go. So I'm attached to this clock, and and then the, you know say, and then the letting go of the clock. I have to, you know, what does that mean? To just drop it on the floor, or throw it out the window, <laughs> or just put it down. You know, let go of of uh, the clock's still there. I don't have, but I'm not. You know, I recognize the difference between this holding the clock and not holding the clock. So you begin to recognize desire, grasping desire, and non-grasping of desire. You see, so this is like this is intuitive awareness that I'm talking about. So we're not, you know, some people think of when I taught, used to teach a lot about letting go, that people end up trying to get rid of desires. And uh, that's not, that's not it. That's another desire, to get rid of desire. You can't win that one. It's a cut 22 problem. Because, the you know, the desire to get rid of desire is a desire. So the problem is not with with desire, but in in our ignorance, the vicha and the and the attachment to desire that comes out of that ignorance. So then, then the result of letting go is um, the the insight desire has been let go of. The causes of suffering have been let go of. So I've let go of the causes. And then the third noble truth is cessation of suffering. Niroda, truth of cessation. So when you let go of something, uh, then then the uh, then you have the insight into the noble truth. There is the end of suffering the cessation of suffering, because 
the the kind of feeling you had of grasping and holding and clutching and clinging you, you've let go you've relaxed and then there is the desire itself will cease naturally it's not a not an annihilation of it it's nature's to cease so then you you're aware of it of that that desire has ceased so this should be realized recognized in other words so the the practice is realization or recognition of emptiness like non-attachment <coughs> is like this and the and then what I was attached to before, the desire I was attached to, then uh, as I let it go, then it eventually ceases. And then it's awareness of its absence. Desirelessness is like this. You know, so that's real. I realize this. You know, it's, it's, it's reality. It's not, not, a, not a, an, an illusion that I create. And then, then the in third insight is the. This has been realized, and then the fourth noble truth is there is the way, or the eightfold path, of non-suffering. So that's based on, right understanding, samaditi. So from this, realization, of non-grasping, then there's right understanding or right view. Right attitude. So that's why I'm using the in this retreat this emphasis on right attitude. An attitude where then that is you know, trying to encourage this is you know, I can't make you have the right attitude, I can encourage you kind of you know and trying to speak in ways that convey this, but whether you have the right attitude or not, only you know. <laughs> so then, this, this, uh, this, this with the right attitude, samaditi. Then, then the rest of the eightfold path is right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right concentration, right mindfulness, right. Uh, Wisdom is, uh, yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> 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 uh, right, uh, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. So that, that now that sounds very complicated, and and the word right sounds very opinionated again. Right, righteous, uh, and so forth this this puts it, these are the limitation of words but it's real in other words it's it's coming from knowing direct knowing it's not theoretical anymore and this is like grounding yourself really uh using like this uh, the 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 dukkha or the suffering whatever way you're experiencing it takes you to non-suffering and exploring the, the, you know, the, the you begin to recognize how you create suffering, how you, you're habituated to out of not understanding, not having 
right attitude, how you create uh, the world and the self and the suffering uh, and the confusion and the anxiety and the addiction and all the rest. Once you see that, then you then you can let go and and realize the way of non-attachment, of non-suffering. Now this doesn't mean you don't feel anything. Because let's face it, you know, when you even in the scripture, in the story of the Buddha, you know, he had to live so many, you know, more years after his enlightenment, and then he was had to experience all kinds of things. You know, in the in the Pali scriptures, you know, people tried to kill him, frame him, abuse him. Uh, his cousin tried to to kill him. He was attacked by a drunken elephant. <laughs> he was blamed for things he never did. And, uh, much worse than anything I've ever experienced. <laughs> <laughs> idea being att- attacked by a drunken elephant is pretty scary, isn't it? <laughs> but the, uh, but the uh, you know, this is, but the Buddha, so, you know, still was had a human body with senses and 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 you know feeling but but there was an understanding of it you know he, he wasn't attached wasn't deluded by the conditions so enlightenment is really this awakened state you know it's not that you get out of anything you know that you you don't suffer any you don't experience sensitivity anymore and the world around you you know, just is you live in a kind of blissful realm of of happiness. It's not heaven, but it's it's non-attachment. So then, then we the world as we experience it till we die is seen in terms of the path, cultivating the eightfold path, developing this way of of mindfulness, non-attachment. So this is practical. It's not not idealistic or Im- impossible. It's a, it, this is this is a teaching for human beings. You know, it's not it's not meant. It says for deva and manusya. Well, I never consider myself a deva. So you know, I can't speak for them, but for manusya, I can. <laughs> Well, minutia means human being, so I mean it's uh, you know it it you know when you co- when I contemplate you know attachment falling back into the old attachments the sense of a self identity with a body the the blinding myself with my emotional habits then I I I suffer I worry I create suffering. I I say things I shouldn't do. I do things I shouldn't have done. I I react in inadequate ways, and uh, you know it was. And I create, and I'm the creator of this suffering out of this ignorance. Now, when I trust in this awareness and cultivate this way of mindfulness, then I don't tend to do that. And so then, then the the 
then the, I don't create the like sense of guilt falls away, <coughs> uh, worry falls away, um, anxiety, fear, resentments that I've carried uh, fall away. Things, you know, you begin to to let these things drop away from me. They are, they're no longer reinforced or or indulgent or suppressed. So then more and more this this sense of of uh, faith increases one's faith in this path. And in the Panya, the, the Sadda and Panya, these two words, faith and wisdom, they, they're balancing each other because it's through investigating, finding out, you're finding out, and then as you're as you find out how, how the way of non-suffering, then your faith in it increases. So it becomes, you know, the the faith and wisdom uh, faculties uh, are working together. You find a, this sense of balance. The more you you investigate and and re- recognize, and the more it increases your faith. Like when I first started with Buddhism, let's say I didn't have total faith in it. I just had interest. Say, interest is is the beginning. It interested me. Buddhism. But I didn't know much about it. I didn't know if it was just a, another high-minded philosophy or whether it would actually work or whether it's out of date or you know what to do with it, but it interested me enough to try, you know, so that's, that's a certain amount of sada there, interest. There's something that, you know, you're interested in that you'll, if you're interested in something, then you'll, you'll try it out, you'll test it out. If you're not interested in it, you won't bother. <laughs> that's the arising of faith. You know, so it got me interested enough to pursue it, Intellectually, I started reading books about it, and and that inspired me even more. But I got to the point where, you know, I I was tired and weary of just reading, and I, you know, and and about Buddhism, I wanted to do it, put it into practice. So then, th- then I started practicing. That and then, and as I began to practice, I began to get good results from the practice, which increased. The sada, the faith in the practice, and the and the wisdom, the d- using wisdom, and then as I develop wisdom, then the confidence in the practice increase. You see, so it it's uh, it's not uh, you have to believe in Buddhism, and uh, it's not a, like belief system, but it is uh, leading onward. In other words, uh, Upanayaka Dhamma. Leading you, it carries you as you, as you practice it and understand it. So then, um, now say after all these years, you know I'm very. My faith in Buddhism is total. You can probably tell. <laughs> No, because you know, not because I'm, I'm a, a, a addicted to it, or just you know, 
converted to Buddhism, but because it actually works, you know, you proved it over many, many years of practice. You know, put it to a test, see what happens. So this, then, it, then now, you know, this is, it's been 50 years since I first, because I was 21 when I first discovered Buddhism. 21, and, and now I'm nearly 72. That's 50 years. That's that's half a century. <laughs> so, you know, that's quite a long time you know, to, put, to develop the interest and then and then, you know, I've been pretty one-pointed, I must admit, because I haven't really been interested in anything else. <laughs> but the, um, but the, the, then the result, because of that, is a confidence that comes from, from knowing, you know, not from believing and, and just uh, believing what the scriptures say or what the the other great teachers say and so forth. It's not that I'm a party line bhikkhu or, you know, just just trying to convince everybody that these past 50 years hasn't been a waste of time. And <laughs> 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 the confidence I have now is because, you know, there's a profound knowing of this. You know, it's not a, it's n- and this knowing is, I- you know, is, is, is strong, it's stable knowing. It's not kind of knowing about it or believing in anything, believing it. It's not believing in Buddhism, but it's, it's knowing. And, it, and this is the point of the, Buddha is is the one who knows the knowing, and you're developing this 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 direct knowing through, and this is the expedient means that he, that's the you know is the kind of foundation of Buddhism is the four noble truths. And now is a time also where there seem to be, you know, many more, you know, where Buddhism has a particularly, you know, people are, you know, recognizing, you know, that it is a skillful means. Meeting the the needs of people in in, uh, modern societies. So it's 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 not you know say fifty years ago there were very few people you know in, that had any interest or understanding of Buddha Dhamma in the West. At least I was not aware of them at the time. And uh, so it is, you know, it is, and now there are you go you know here in England or uh, in the states. I mean, there's there's Buddhists all over the place, Buddhist centers, <laughs> Buddhist meditation courses everywhere. 
<coughs> Buddhist monasteries, all kinds of Buddhism, you know, Tibetan Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, and and people who've been practicing these long enough to have insight. They back in 1955, I didn't know any Westerner who'd ever, you know, knew anything about Buddhism, much less practiced it in any way. And that was, you know, so th- th- we were just, it started out in the, as, a, as this kind of fad in on the West Coast, you know, where you, you beat Zen and that kind of thing, Alan Watts. <laughs> I mean, so it was, it was a, you know, it was a bit superficial at first. It wasn't, you know, uh, but it, that's how things start. So I've always been grateful for that. You know, the people, you know, can be critical of fashion and fads and and, and that think they're just, you know, kind of demeaning a profound religion. But actually, that one I'm particularly grateful for because at least, it, you know, even though it started maybe just as because, you know, some kind of exotic interest, it affected many of us in a way that, that, that directed our whole, the rest of our lives. 